that's the moment that we come alive and all our dreams come true oh, all our dreams come true all our dreams come true oh. One long dream, you know that's all that I know, fella. From my first gig, you know I stole that show, y'all. This world is gone, no about me. Y'all, I need a boombox and a burnt CD. Fast forward 10,000 hours, 1,000 shows, 100,000 miles, few million views, ain't justify how I got the sauce. Thousand Island. I wrote this verse, I was scared as hell, so I closed my eyes. Cause I ain't wanna make no music, man, my pop shit style. Make you feel like thunder now Quit my job and said fuck the boss Can you tell me who I'll be under now Bust my ass for that star power now Everybody wanna come around Tell me shit like if I dumb it down I could have a number one by summer now But my number one goal ain't the drum roll Rather have the encore Every time I get a taste of it like a drug I just always seem to want more This ain't fame will kill it Bang bang a million way before Cobain Never left the building When I write the line that I'm saying here Don't take for granted ain't pain I'm feeling Them hard times bring sunshine That was sun season to the world Remember flying to Atlanta, plane half done, records for drama. Laying on the floor of the airport, smiling at a bank account with no commas, man. I ain't that, and I ain't this, and I don't need a paintbrush when I paint this. Everybody said what I can't get, like my lane's just outrageous. Uh, point that I aim this, ain't no half seven, those a big dedication. All I was my life, looking to the middle, little homie, everything's beautiful, all I'm saying is. Everything that I'm not made me Everything that I is Used to couch surf at my friend's house And dream about all this shit Used to tell my pops to be famous In them days and I remain nameless He say, how you gonna obtain this? I say, I say It's the moment that we realize That everything is new That's the moment that we come alive And all our dreams come true Oh, all our dreams come true dreams come true when everything we see inside is everything we know that's the moment that we come alive and all our dreams come true oh all our dreams come true oh all our dreams come true oh all our dreams all our dreams come true have the la beating uh, champion lawnmower is the name of the song i'm gonna take that out yeah it could have that playing behind me throughout have a nice dun 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 dun
Yeah, no, I think my acapella version is pretty good. So, yeah. Um, so, happy Valentine's Day, UBC. Uh, I prefer, you know, good morning Vietnam, but that's a good enough introduction, right? Um, uh, so, we have a pretty varied panel for you today. Um, uh, including uh, singer Shirley Gnome. Uh, but uh, before... Uh, we do anything of that sort we want to announce we have a ticket giveaway yes for all you listeners we have a ticket giveaway for Abdullah Ibrahim's coming show at the Chan that's the Jazz Epistles Abdullah Ibrahim with guest Terrence Blanchard and that's actually a very interesting story because uh, uh, February as we well know is Black History Month and uh Abdullah Ibrahim, a.k.a. Dollar Brand, is a pianist who was championed and produced by the great Duke Ellington and named South Africa's Mozart by Nelson Mandela. Those are two pretty great names to have associated with you. And he's coming to the Chan this coming... Uh, this coming... Uh, oh, sorry. My eyesight is failing me. Yes. Um, uh, he's coming to the Chan February 18th. That is this Sunday at uh, the Chan Shun Concert Hall. The Chan Center. And um, he'll be backed by uh, internationally renowned New Orleans trumpeter Terrence Blanchard. I'm just reading off the program right now. Um, Include other people, uh, jazz people. Here's some names for you. Noah Jackson, Will Terrell, Cleve Guyton Jr., Jack, Lance Bryant, Andre Murchison, and Marshall McDonald. If you recognize any of those people, please call in. We've got a couple shows. If you want if you got a jazz fiend in your in your, you know, family or something, consider it a belated Valentine's Day present. Honestly, you know, I, I do like jazz. It's a, it's a great genre, and this guy seems like he's done a lot, and I'd I'd love to see this show. But I when I come to think about the uh, sort of involvement of well, I guess specifically Vancouver music history as well as black music history. I think about um, Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's. And Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's, as one may imagine, are an R&B group from the 60s, the early 60s, late 50s. They're actually only around for a really short period of time, about six years between 63 and 69. Um, Bobby Taylor was an American, and he was a doo-wop singer. And he had the backing band, the Vancouver's, which was formed uh, from members including tommy chong actually yeah 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 that's that's a weird bit of history but that's not all see tommy chong is not the most famous name associated with bobby taylor because this man who you might not have ever heard of is affiliated with a man who you almost certainly have heard of and that man is michael jackson see bobby taylor is one of those names that comes up very frequently when people are talking about the ja- Michael Jackson because Michael Jackson was his opening act at the Regal Theater in Chicago in 68. It was probably the first one at time when that was the case. And he introduced them to Barry Gordy, the repulsive human being who was the head of Motown Records. And say what you want about him personally, he was a brilliant producer. And thus we have the career of Michael Jackson. And uh, this is interesting probably in light of that fact because this group is named after vancouver it's associated with vancouver and r&b as a genre at this time you know before motown was a genre made up of these little labels sort of coming out of or affiliated with blues labels and you had artists who would disappear and this is really does tell you about where it is one of the names for the group and uh oh yes severe content warning um involved uh, 
ethnic slurs uh, for and uh, oh, okay, uh, uh, um, four black guys and a Chinese man said by a horribly racist person. It's just uh, I, I'm not gonna do that on air because no, that that sound bite's gonna nope. But Tommy Chong was a member. I think I believe he was the guitarist, and it was really a, a very interesting band. It was a very short-lived band, but it's tied to a phenomenon. And you know what? You know you see part of that history, and you can say, you know what? Vancouver is responsible for Michael Jackson. Okay, Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's are responsible for Michael Jackson, but it's, it's splitting hairs. Anyway, um, that's not the only bit of uh, Black History Month-related programming, though, we have. Uh, and I kind of wanted to kick that one off because I know a bit about classic R&B. I'm pretty ignorant about a lot of things. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a straight white guy. I, I can pretty easily stick my head in the sand and hear the ocean and surround sound if I want to. So um, it, it, it kind of becomes, it really does, it is the least I can do to feel a little uncomfortable about the whole set of relations that I don't necessarily have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. And VPL had an event in this regard called Where Are You Really From?, uh, and this was a very, shall we say, very interesting event. And it featured uh, Shalene Knight, Julianne Okotbitek, Wade Compton, Chantal Gibson, and special guest Randy Clark. And they said some very interesting things um, um, about uh, various parts of the the discourse that I feel bear some illumination. And I do want to point out that this is going to be very brief because I am wholly unqualified to summarize this, but I do figure that it's it's the least you can do on account of the occasion. Uh, and yes, there will be Valentine's Day related programming after this, but I'm single, so this is primacy. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm an idiot. Um, so I think one of the things that really stuck in my brain was uh, Chantal Gibson remarked upon uh, when she was studying literature that she was given the Strepture Letters, which is considered the foundational piece of Canadian humorous literature. Uh, this was made in the eight, this was written in the 1820s, and, and that fits the uh, the racial politics of it. And there's a character called the Black Wench, which was this was her ex- first experience with uh, racism, with the notion of that, because this character, the Black Wench, is only called that in the story, and is only given is given no characterization, given no no arc, and even the minor characters in this parodic story have an arc. And it's just that was an understanding of a stereotype. It's something that is on its base nature dehumanizing because it just reduces one to convenient consumption. And there's a very interesting art piece, too, regarding that, which I can't really uh, do justice to in an auditory medium because, uh, well, again... But it, it bears consideration. Another uh, voice that was very interesting was Wade Compton, uh, who is a Vancouver poet. He's uh, been published by Arsenal Pulp Press, uh, nominated for the Dorothy Livesay Prize. Uh, and he mentioned um, that his father was raised in Texas. And he said that people in Vancouver are just as racist as they are in Texas, but they're just more polite. Uh, and that's interesting to me because, uh, you know, it's it's one of those sort of things where another fellow later on mentioned that there was a connection between 
say, obfuscating politeness and actually not addressing the problems inherent to bigotry. And that's uh, probably a, a distinction that, I, well, it's, it's easier to ignore when you can identify actual racism, you know, at vocal racism. But similarly, tacit racism, it's still part of the problem. It's still part of the continuum. And that's something that, you know, in the discourse we're living in, probably not something that occurs as readily uh, and probably gets associated with um, institutional criticism. Like uh, one of the fellows in the crowd uh, blamed political correctness for encouraging institutional racism, and I really have no um, bead on that one way or another. Uh, but there was another point made, and this is by um, specifically by uh, Randy Clark, was the, the value of culture in this uh, and the, the creation of culture. He was talking about um, when he was a teenager in the 60s, he discovered James Brown and sort of that the song, you know, Black and I'm Proud, for, 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 for him, uh, gave him a sort of, a, uh, this sort of perspective on it that he was not, because he was one of the only black students in an almost all-white school. And other figures mentioned uh, were Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, uh, MLK, Maya Angelou, uh, Sidney Poitier. I thought that one was uh, was interesting because, yes, Sidney Poitier was a fine actor. And, yes, he was probably one of the first black actors to be cast in in roles that uh, uh, gave him this, this great breadth of character. And it did – I mean, he was, the roles were still coded, but he still – Denzel Washington actually had a great remark that he was following in Sidney Poitier's footsteps because of Poitier's talent as a leading man. And that, I believe, is true. I found that interesting. Another voice frequently mentioned was Audre Lorde as well as Toni Morrison, who are both both brilliant uh, writers. If you haven't read Tori, Toni Morrison's jazz, highly recommend it. It's a great book. Um, and I was just wondering, I guess, where, you know, creators of culture fit into that because never in my life has there necessarily been a need to find that, like I, this culture, because it's already there for me. There's plenty of things for me to identify with, and I understand that that's part of being on the less ideal end of an institution is not is having this sort of thing made more difficult or made more complicated. And I, I, I should probably stop talking and go to a PSA before I make a well and true idiot of myself. But um, yeah, uh, check check them out. Definitely check out um, Wade Compton's. Uh, his books, uh, the art installations of um, of Miss Gibson, and uh, these assorted other names. It's it's it, shall we say it's a it's a timely discourse, and I don't think it really ever hasn't been a timely discourse. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 where we're at at this point. So yeah, it's it's the least I can do. I don't know. Well. <laughs> We, we shall return momentarily to see me more within my wheelhouse, shall we say. Born out of an initiative to give more voice to local women artists and musicians, Mixtapes is a Vancouver-based biannual mixtape featuring women-identified musicians and sound artists from the Pacific Northwest. The spring 2018 edition will be coming out on May 10th, with all proceeds going to the Downtown Eastside Women's Shelter. Women-identified artists are invited to send their submissions to btchtapes at gmail.com. The release fundraiser will be held on May 10th at the Redgate Review Stage, featuring artists selected for this edition of the cassette.
Is Coco Hamamatsu talking about koi fish in a pond or the youth at CITR and Discorder? Get info on your wares, services, or events directly to students, musicians, artists, and all the coolest cats from Bellingham to Squamish by advertising with CITR and Discorder on air, in print, or online. This can be your reality if you email us at advertising at citr.ca or call 604-822-4342. Visit citr.ca for rates and packages. It's quite a collection, yeah. We got. Um, I, I just. I remember the first time I came in here, we saw Public Image Limited. Uh, sort of, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I, that's that's the one I know. <laughs> I know one of the CDs. Yeah, right. Well, welcome back uh, to us. Um, I'm Jake Clark, still here. Uh, and joining me today is Shirley Gnome. I'm Shirley Gnome. I just got here. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been saying we're underneath a pizza place gives a weird image, especially especially post PizzaGate. That's not been a good direction. Right. <laughs> that whole PizzaGate thing, because like, like, I'm just afraid that some crazy some conspiracy theorists are gonna go, oh, they got him. Oh, that's <laughs> how they did it. That's oh. how they did it. Damn college radio. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> well, this. Hi, Uncle Gregory. How you doing? <laughs> um, so. Uh, I don't know if um, it's easy to describe your style, but I, I would say that you're a comedian, musician, all-around entertainer with a style that's sort of at the juncture of country and western music, uh, burlesque, stand-up comedy, and intersectional feminism. Oh, that's really good. Sound well, well done. Well, it's, uh, I might have to do that for my, uh, <laughs> for my publicist. Cause, uh... Yeah, it's I have a multidisciplinary sort of multi-appeal act, so sometimes it's hard to just describe in a simple term. But it's a good mix for Valentine's Day. I would hope so. You now, you're doing something for Valentine's Day. I yes. Think. Well, not on not today. Today I will gently rock back and forth and ignore the internet. But tomorrow, um, I'm putting on a big old variety show with a bunch of local talent and everyone from you know storytellers to stand-up musical comedians, burlesque. Gorlesque artists are going to explore wait, wait, wait. romance. Hold, hold up, Gorlesque? Gorlesque. Do I want to know what that is? Uh, well, kind of. You can probably piece together what may that might be. I mean, it's basically uh, theatrical striptease with a lot of uh, just gore. Just a second. Ooh, what's going on? Your microphone's on full. Oh, on full. Was I, I really loud? I turned on the wrong microphone. <laughs> Again, that keeps happening. Pizza! It's the pizza's fault. I, 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 I think they, they, they did get most of that, though. They could hear you. It just sounded like you were whispering for a second. It was like a very erotic introduction. Hello, I'm Shirley. We're in an ASMR video now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've, so I, I listened to your, your latest album. You got some incredible sound effects in there. Oh, I thank you. I made most of them with my mouth. Okay. <laughs> it's true. All the animal noises. Do you remember the animal? Or is that what you're talking about? Or is it all that, that stuff falling out? That wasn't down? what I was talking That was the stuff falling out. Oh, yeah. No, that, that's a collection that my producer and I put together. Okay. One wonderful evening. I, I mean, some of the things I think I did do in there, but mostly it's like foley effects you know okay that, that's that's a relief <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was like very talented ventriloquist wow. <laughs> yeah. I, a, I know a guy who does that with like beatboxing yeah right 
who can like do these beatboxing effects and he sounds like a whole percussion section. Yeah, wasn't there a guy on Police Academy? The old Police yeah! Academy movies? It was like the genius of that, and I can't remember his name. No, I can't either. It's been it's been a while. It's been a long time, but that as a small child, that was uh, riveting and probably still would be as an adult. If I was that one was that I guess an influence on this? Oh, you mean like comedies from the 80s? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yes, I would probably my 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 folks really like let us watch a lot. We watched a lot of comedy. We grew up with a lot of stuff. So, yeah, for sure. I mean, and I'm also thinking like the Naked Gun movies, sort of in that same realm. Like that was a big, <laughs> big. Love influence. Leslie Nielsen. Oh my sense of humor. Oh, you know, what a wonderful guy. My mom seems to think uh, that uh, we're related to him, uh, Norwegians and whatnot. You guys from the Northwest Territories. What's that? Any family in the Northwest Territories? No, I think it's a, a dream that my mom was just like, I'll find it in the family tree someday. Now we're all from here. Yeah, we're Yeah. It's a nice town. Well, actually, technically, I'm from Surrey, and it's not a nice okay, town. Okay, okay. Revision. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just go back for a moment. You do You do mention, though, I remember reading this interview, you mentioned your father um, let you listen to Lenny Bruce. Yes, he did. Other things. Among other things. Which routine was it? Do you remember specifically? No, I don't. Um, just something that had swearing in it. For was... sure had swearing in it. <laughs> yeah, that was him. Yeah. My... My dad also played me an old jazz record, like an underground jazz record from the 30s. Um, I won't say the actual title, but it was, you know, everybody's effing but me. And uh, he said, I just, and I'm a teenager at this point. Let's put oh, that in context. Oh, everybody's fucking you. Okay, okay, I just got it. You swore. Hooray. Am I allowed to swear? Content warning. Yes. Oh, good. Fuckity yeah. fuck. Okay, yeah. so, <laughs> oh, man. Okay. I have 20% less tension in my body right now. Don't Ooh. worry about it. Ooh. Ah. Great. Fuckity do. Um, yeah, so that song was an old underground recording, and he says to me, I just want you to know that the word fuck existed before television. <laughs> they played me this song, and it was so funny and sassy and amazing, and uh, I was not censored uh, from things as a child, and I, I turned out fine. <clears throat> yeah, that's, uh, there's a song, I know, a similar one probably, mm. it's Harry Roy and his orchestra. Yeah. It's, a, it's about a cat, I think. It's called My Girl's Pussy. <laughs> he sounds like that. Operatic? No, no, like, uh, like, oh, thank you. But, uh, <laughs> but like, just, just, yes, just, yes, I wear an ascot. Very uh, much so. Dignified. <laughs> just, yes, I am wearing a white tie tuxedo. <laughs> yeah. I gotta check that out. That's another one in the, uh, in the history of smutty music, which goes back quite a ways. There's like a sound effect of a purring cat at the beginning. It's pretty funny. <laughs> oh, that sounds saucy. I, I got to say, um, uh, now my Valentine's Day is going to be spent watching Fool for Love, the Sam Shepard play. Probably one of the oh. few stage plays to have Merle Haggard in it. <laughs> and as someone who has recorded a few albums in a country music style, yeah. I just kind of want to ask um, what that's, how you came to that specifically, because... This is a uh, far cry from the South. Yes, so. it's so true. Um, I mean, Surrey certainly has its uh, country music fans, but uh, it's not necessarily a burgeoning epicenter of country music. <laughs> but uh, I came upon it essentially out of, um, I don't know what the word is. It Essentially, when I started playing the guitar... Uh, I was, well, I first picked it up when I was about 15. You only learn, like, 
three or four chords. Oh, yeah, and you can do and it. And you can, that's you. That's all you need for a song, that and the truth. That's country music, right? And D, D, C, F, boom. Yeah, I think mine were E, A, and D. Yep. Same chords as the Hanukkah song by Adam Sandler. Oh, yeah. uh, and a bunch of Beatles songs and a whole bunch of things. Anyway, so... I got into playing that kind of music because it's the only music I could play, <laughs> and uh, and that's uh, that sort of informed uh, the kind of tracks that I wanted to make. And I also I love country music and folk music because they're good about they're good about uh, supporting the lyrics. That's very much you know songs about how to live, and so it's a great medium for telling truths and telling stories. Um, and mine just happened to be silly and driven by my hormones and by making my friends laugh. <laughs> there's there, there's a great tradition of that, though. There's, like, Roger oh, yeah. Miller. There's mm-hmm. uh, Junior Brown yep. recently. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure this wasn't intentional, but um, this may be of interest to note. As of this year, the number one country single is called Body Like a Back Road. Body Like a Back Road? I don't even know that song. It's, um... Ooh. Is not very good. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> it's, I still want to hear the it. The sad thing is it's not a joke song. Mm. It's supposed to be sexy. Yes. But, um... Yeah, that's what I love about some country music is so unintentionally funny, though, and I think that's what I clued into when I started. I was just... I just turned up the comedy knob, maybe one or two more notches. That's it. Really? A little more than that. You got a song about gerontophilia. That's... I sure do. That, <laughs> That's what's the weirdest topic you ever taken for a song? Would you think incest? That was quick. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty. It's the. It's like a pretty huge cultural taboo all over the world. That's why I think it was the hardest yeah. one to talk about. Um, and it's evolved a little bit over over time. Uh, I I would say that one. Although I talk about all sorts of things, uh, but that one came to mind the quickest. So, probably one of the more provocative ones. Sex work as well. That one. That's not weird though. That was just provocative. Weird. Weird. Weird is subjective though, right? Weird can be a lot of different things. The um, yeah, that's true. That's true. It is is very subjective. Mm. I was I was gonna say like the all, all humans are animals too, but that's because it reminded me of <laughs> HWC by Liz Fair a little bit. <laughs> That's great. Or um, oh, the one that comes after that on the album. That one reminded me of Whistle While You Work from Snow White. Hey, pretty man, please don't think. Yep. Yes, that definitely does sound like it is supposed to be a bit of a jaunty, a jaunty, rompy kind of a tune. I think that's my favorite song from the album. Oh, thanks. I uh, I like that one a lot, too. I love how it just completely goes off the rails. Yep, yep. Cosmic <laughs> nihilism and all that. Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan. <laughs> Of so cosmic nihilism. On the Rick and Morty scale a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I, I love that stuff. Um, so I, I, And then, you know, there's another track on the album which is about, you know, that there is no heaven and it's the end of when you die, you're gone. And yeah, I think that existentialism has a... There was a... When I was writing the album, it was like a doom and gloomy kind of time. Uh, so that that's how it kind of worked itself out in my music, I think, because it's just around when, you know, he who shall not be named was elected and there was this feeling of like... Just oh god, things are terrible and and things are gonna go bad and and so uh, that's where that, my brain actually. went. Hmm? I covered that. You really? You were like on the radio covering I it? Was, I was. I covered the election for a news show. I saw the map turn red a little bit, and <laughs> I was just. That was it. Was a night I don't drink during the week, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is great. Tonight's the night I break my rules. This is great. I think a lot of people broke uh, their drinking rules that night. Yeah. Well. So it is, you know. It's so just, it is. Now you, now you do need some comedy. Absolutely. Oh, 
can just think about Charlie Chaplin, right? When we see the most popular, the Great Depression. Yeah, well, it's kind of funny because the Great Dictator too. Oh it's still gosh. funny. That holds up. Oh, it does. It's unbelievable. I mean, the scene with him doing the the ballet with the globe. The that's. It's 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 kind of beautiful scene, yeah. and then becomes funny in context. Yeah, it's, it's I, I got it. I love Charlie Chaplin. Me too. Not sure how well he holds up in terms of personal proclivities. But oh my no, own. he was a uh, like many of our male icons. He was a giant piece of human garbage. Unfortunately, it's a really hard thing to reconcile when you love someone's work and they are uh, beyond assholery. The marriage to Uno O'Neill was weird enough. Oh, my know, God. With the age difference there. Yeah. But she was the best adjusted one in that family. I, uh, weirdly enough, yeah. Because her one brother died of a drug overdose. Yes. The other one hanged himself. Yes. And, and her dad was Eugene O'Neill. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not an easy guy to live with. No, not at all. So I guess Barry Charlie Chaplin was the logical solution to that problem. <laughs> Find a happy medium, I guess. <laughs> I guess. And about, um, say, other aspects of it, because... Music and comedy are two uh, things that are most people are familiar with in some level, but burlesque is maybe a bit more niche and also very specialized. Can, mm. you, can you tell us a little bit of how you came to that or how that influences your work? Yes, absolutely. It's really important to me for a lot of reasons, but when I was originally writing uh, the one or two songs that I had um, and playing for people, it was the burlesque community that gave me a stage to play those songs. Um, because it was a, it's a sex positive environment. It's about celebrating your own agency, your own body, the way you want to. Uh, it's very much in a lot of ways like women cheering on women, uh, and you know that which is, I think, evolved now so that it's a lot more about expressing different genders as well. Um, but when I first discovered it, uh, you know it. It, I fit there in a way, even though I wasn't taking my clothes off. I was sort of taking my clothes off with my words uh, about my sexual experiences. So I've always been a part of that community, and it means a lot to me. And then uh, it's also influenced me as well, watching the choices that um, burlesque artists make, how they express um, the beauty and the hilariousness of music through dance and through striptease. All big, big influences on me. And so... It was pretty important that they were going to be on the show tomorrow, too, because uh, I do love it. And Vancouver has a world-class burlesque scene as well. I've traveled a lot of places with a lot of burlesque, and Vancouver is up there. Up there. You know, maybe only only mastered by New York City. It, it really is phenomenal. Really? Yeah. It's phenomenal. We have so much talent here, um, and it's lovely. And uh, I have so many good friends in that world. What's one burlesque show or one burlesque performer you think – people who don't who aren't familiar with the genre should see to become familiar with it. Oh, well, there's so many different kinds of burlesque, so that's hard to answer, right? Cuz it's just like music. Like you can't be like, "Hey, I like uh, I want to get into music. Where do I start?" right? It's, yeah. There's so many different flaves. Like even like there's all gorlesque, you know, there's a whole thing for if you are uh, if you're into something a little more bloody and a little darker and also super fun, then that's that's you want to go see Bloody Betty. Um she's the queen. Uh, she basically invented it, and she lives here. Uh, and then, you know, I love my comedy burlesque very much, obviously, and April O'Peel, uh, she's, <laughs> yeah, right? She's great, um, and we've worked together on a couple of collaborations uh, over the years where she's danced to my songs, and um, she's also a fabulous producer and puts on great shows. Uh, so anything that she does, she does stuff at the Rio quite a bit. Um, you can uh, Google her. She is... Uh, 
phenomenal for comedy stuff. And then, I mean, you could go see Kitty Nights once a month at the Biltmore because Burgundy Bricks puts on a great show with a lot of variety and a lot of fun for the audience, a lot of prizes. And it's a great introduction into that world. It's a really nice room. Um, there's a very intimate venue, too, the Biltmore. <laughs> really? Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, it is. I'm like, now I'm scanning through like giant halls and stuff. Yeah, it is perfect. It's very cabaret. I remember I saw Benjamin Booker there a little bit ago. Oh, yeah. He's he's not a tall guy, (laughs) but the stage is elevated and his head is like level to level with everyone, and people were jumping up and touching the ceiling. (laughs) Um,. Well, that sounds like a fun show. I think, it's, yeah, yeah, it was. It was fun. Mm. Crackling sort of electric blues show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I guess in, in, in that vein, sort of, if there's, um, uh, how do I this? You, you talk, you've talked a bit about sex positivity. Mm. And with a Valentine's Day show, yep. a show themed around love, sex, what have you, mm-hmm. there's, got, there's a whole webwork of cultural tropes around that, specifically around this location. What's mm-hmm. one trope in media and culture you, you really don't like, and what's one that you think is better for people? Ah, oh, that's good. Um, I would say, well, I particularly find that there is a lot of love songs that are popular are very much about codependency. Like, they, t- I can't breathe without you. I can't. You're my air. You're my. That song is just about an inhaler. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, I've completely misjudged it. I'm sorry to any people suffering with asthma for my (laughs) my tolerance to that song. Yeah, things like that. Like there's there's a lot. Like a lot of unhealthy relationship models are placed into pop music, and that really bugs me. And that's like you're my everything. I can't live without you. You're my better half. I hate that. I hate that shit. The idea that you're not a complete person until you're in a romantic relationship. Because I feel like there's a lot of undervalued love uh, in this in this world. And, uh, you know, maybe now culturally we're moving towards, like, the fact that they made that little movie. What's the, the um, they made the kids movie Frozen and it's about two sisters loving each other. It's not about the prince, you know. It's about yeah. the fact that that got made for those little little people is a great step up from The Little Mermaid, which was my generation's like, one day I'll be a part of his world. I don't need a voice. Ha ha. Like all that crap. Oh, fuck. <sighs> anyway, so there's hope, I suppose, um, in, in uh, what kind of love we value and why in our culture. But we got a long, we got a long way to go. That's there's a lot of, there's a lot of people with a lot of hangups and a lot of hate, and it's uh, can be disheartening. But there's a lot of good. We're trying to find that with the show. We're trying to find forms of romance that aren't necessarily celebrated, and and everyone's going to do their own take on what that means to them. Do you think that there needs to be more love stories out there, or do you think? Mm, that- oh yeah. I think so. I think new love stories, love stories that need visibility, love stories that we haven't seen, things that break taboos. I think all of that's good. I think there's just, we've always fit this sort of, we've had this sort of heteronormative idea of what what love is and what marriage is and what romance is. And uh, there's such a huge undercurrent of an actual reality that isn't expressed. And, and the more, you know, the internet's good for that too. A lot of that stuff's finding Finding its way out into visibility, and, and that's good. Uh, we had we interviewed Mary Galloway on the show a little bit ago. Should I know? She's who that a is? She, she's she's a filmmaker. She's sort of an up and comer. She made a short film for uh, Vancouver Short Film Festival. Great. And one of the questions we asked her uh, was if she could make 
a film because she was talking about um, the tropes in romantic comedies. She, she was kind of raised on them. Yes. And she's become, as a result, sort of hypersensitized to the tropes, like just oh, yeah. can't stand them. Yeah. And we sort of asked her about what kind of story she would want to make if she could, they, they, if someone gave her, here's a blank check, make us a comedy. <laughs> well, what did she say? Um, <laughs> I'm like, tell me more. Enough about me. <laughs> um, we we uh, we didn't really cover that in depth. Okay. But I was I just kind of wanted to ask the same question a little bit. Oh, someone. Oh, that's such a big question. I've, you suddenly given me all this magical imaginary money, and exactly. I'm terrible with imaginary money. I really am. I like. <laughs> I have a hard time understanding even when I've saved money what to do with it. I'm like, what is this? And then. Whiskey. Um, yeah, I get you. What? Oh, what story? You know, I feel like what I would do, honestly, if I had that opportunity, I would like make a big old open call. I wouldn't want my, I don't think my story, like my story doesn't come to mind right away, you know? Um, I, you know, maybe like a self-love story. There aren't a lot of self-love stories out in, in rom- like a romantic comedy that's about that. Why not? About being with yourself and you don't end up with anybody. Interesting. There's um. But I also feel like I just want to know other people's stories so much that I would just be like, send me some stuff, and I would want to fund other people's voices too. So that's a that's tough. But like, like a love actually sort of anthology. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Except not a giant piece of crap. I have a soft spot for Love Actually. Oh I, no! Bill Nye—he's a great actor. Oh, okay. Yes, there's he, that. Yes, he is, and I, I, I don't see him in a lot of things that yeah. aren't Underworld. Yes. Okay. Where it was like he wakes up in vampire makeup. I was like, okay, my check now, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a nice way that you found something positive in that movie. That's good. It's a good attitude. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's that's that 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 story alone I just found enjoyable because well, that's actually kind of this weird sort of frozeny thing too with his managers. Mm, like, yeah. Person I really love in my life <laughs> is you. Yeah. And it's, it's the moment where you could like see him do the math in his head. And yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Wait a minute. Who's always there for me? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I, like, I someday may have that moment. Probably not, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> And just just a refresher for the audience, yes. where can we see it tomorrow? It's at the Rickshaw Theater. Uh, the doors are at seven. The show's at eight. Um, Rickshaw's on the, is uh, on East Hastings, and you can get tickets for only ten dollars uh, at the, the Rickshawtheater dot com. You can look it up on my Facebook too. I've got some links, and um, yeah, it's a lot. There's a lot of people, so um, uh, we just want to make sure everyone gets paid. So please come. <laughs> That's a great attitude. <laughs> Better than the alternative. Yeah. Well, it was awesome to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was great. Okay. Pleasure. Anytime. Great. Awesome. Have it. Have a terrific Valentine's Day. And likewise to you. Thanks. All right. That was the uh, that was just a interview segment, and we will be back momentarily with uh, some uh, discussions for other Valentine's Day events, including a story about my last couple of Valentine's Days, both of which were very awkward double features at the movie theater. I might have told that story, but you know what? Screw it. It's still funny. I will see you in about two minutes. What newspapers and magazines did you regularly read to stay informed and to understand the I've world? read most of them, again, with a great appreciation for the press, for the media. Like, what coming, specifically? Um, all of them. Want to know more than Sarah Palin? 
Join CITR's Current Affairs Coordinator, Alex DeBoer, every Tuesday from 4 to 5 p.m. in room 2514 in the AMS Nest to learn best practices for covering local current affairs topics for radio. The weekly training sessions will cover writing for radio, determining newsworthiness, media ethics, interviewing, writing balanced stories, and more. Are you interested in Vancouver's local music scene? Then join CITR's Music Collective. We handle all things music, from setting, taking down, and just enjoying live performances to archiving. Join the collective to hang out with like-minded, music-obsessed folks. Open to everyone, no experience necessary. For Word on the Street podcasts and more info about the collective, visit citr.ca and email volunteer at citr.ca to get involved. That was that song was completely intentional. Uh, that title "Falsity" by Daniel Terrence Robertson. Happy Valentine's Day! Happy Valentine's Day! All right. So, uh, I guess the the name of the game. Firstly, like we we know Shirley's event at the rickshaw. We also have well, uh, we have Shivs tonight. Is going to see Fun Home. I and, am as well. And you're going to see Fun Home as well. That's right. I, as I mentioned before, I'm going to go see a Sam Shepard play. Whoa. <laughs> that's that's my Valentine's Day with a play written by the author of Buried Child. Oh, that sounds so loving and in the spirit it, it, of Valentine's Day. It is Day. technically a love story, but it's a love story that has a Merle Haggard song. So it's about heartache, pain, and heavy drinking. I mean. Fits my Valentine's Day experience perfectly. <laughs> I mean, if you're single, I guess that'd be pretty good, but... Yeah, it's a, it, is, it is what it is. It And uh, there's also, I should mention, the Fox Cabaret is having a Valentine's Day event, uh, an affair to remember. I don't know if there's tickets still available, but they got, uh, posters got Frank Sinatra and Ava Gardner on it, and there's Ooh. some uh, sort of uh, vintage Hollywood grammar and Rat Pack era cool for the music, performance, and cocktails, so that sounds groovy. That sounds real nice. Yeah. There's, there's there's a few things to choose from. And you know what? If you want to have a belated Valentine's Day celebration, you can still call in for the Abdullah Ibrahim tickets. Anyone. Any, anyone. Anyone at all. <laughs> anyone at all. Yeah. Like, the last two Valentine's Days I've had, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but both of them I saw double features at the movie theater. Ooh. Um, the, so the first time I did that, it was Deadpool and How to Be Single. And... Uh, that's such a that's such a those two movies go together so well, honestly. <laughs> well, here's the funny thing. So when I saw Deadpool, um, I got one of the last seats in the theater. Yeah. I was pretty lucky because I, I I didn't book it in the head because Deadpool was pretty big in Vancouver for obvious reasons. Yeah, awesome movie. Um, but it was towards the back, and the only empty seat in the theater was right beside me. <laughs> so I realized what that looked like afterwards, and like oh. Right. Well, and then I left and went into how to be single. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so, yeah. I didn't realize that until afterwards. I just, I just laughed. I, I laughed for a good five minutes. Like, <laughs> and I wonder why I get cast as villains all the time. Um, now, last year, last year um, was even weirder. So I have a weird history with the Fifty Shades of Grey movies. Who doesn't? Um, but it do this way, I've never taken any inspiration from them. But I've seen them because why not, basically? And I, because I, I'm, I guess, a kind of completist. And I did see the most recent <laughs> one. I did see Fifty Shades Freak, but I didn't see it in the theater because, uh, it no, I, I'm not paying. Uh, last year, <laughs> I saw Fifty Shades Darker in the theater Ooh. and Lego Batman. Ooh! I bought the tickets for that at the same time. That's one of those things where I recognize that a few seconds afterwards. So it was just really awkward. Oh, honey. <laughs> when, I, when I bought the tickets. It's like if you went into an old-timey video store and you're like, you know what? I'm going to get this copy of Caligula and the first season of Adventure Time. God, that must have been really awkward for the ticket person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, They'll never happens. find you. Yeah, I, I hope not. Are they running me like, that's the guy? Or maybe they hear you on the radio and be like, that's the guy. That's the guy. I knew he was a weirdo. How's <laughs> oh. your Valentine's Day been exper- experience been like recently? Honestly, it's been pretty good so far. Okay, awesome. Um, I got two job interviews, so that's already, like, great. Uh I showcased my film for a class, which wasn't the baddest one, and it was just by myself. Really? It was supposed to be groups, but I didn't know that until the last minute, so I just did it by myself, and I turned it in, and it was actually pretty decent compared to everyone else's. Um, And I'm going to go see Fun Home, so it's like, today's really about loving myself. <laughs> yeah, it's, I I really do want to see Fun Home at at some point because I really do like the book. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna see that on my own. I'm hopefully gonna see it before next show so I can talk about it with Shivs. Yes, because I know Shivs is a little excited to see it. Just yeah, a little bit. she's just just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Just if you can hear her after all the screaming she's done about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I noticed I that. Feel that. Uh, like it's um. Because it, it's interesting, because next show we have will be a very theatrically oriented show. And it's going to have, ba- it's going to spotlight basically three pieces of theater that are based around depression in some capacity. Okay. That wasn't intentional. That's just the way the <laughs> programming went. And if we had, we, um, um, I, I actually, I should probably do this shout out. This isn't a Valentine's Day shout out, but uh, Pacific Theater has an almost holy picture going on right now. And because we're not going to be able to review this um, mm-hmm. because it just doesn't fit into the, into the schedule, but um, whatever, if, if you've been, we've had great experiences with Pacific before, and uh, they're also fielding later on in the season a play about J.R.R. Tolkien. Oh, wow. So, yeah, uh, I'd say I'd say support them. I'd say at least go and see that. And hey, uh, let us know. Call in at some point uh, and tell us if if we were right or wrong to send you there. We'll we'll try the reverse for a change. <laughs> I'm Do your a own huge, reviewing. I'm a huge Tolkien fan. 
uh, me and one of my best friends during prom for high school decided to skip prom and watch all of the all of Lord of the Rings instead. Uh, so I'm very much interested about this play. It's it's a play about J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis's friendship. Oh, I bet that's gonna be fun. Well, that's gonna be interesting because um, it, Tolkien uh, read. Lewis's Red Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, yeah. the first drafts of it, and he didn't think it was a very good book. Uh, <laughs> he had some... Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe has a lot more... has I'd say a few more issues as a piece of storytelling than Lord of the Rings does. Also helps Tolkien didn't like allegory. He really didn't. Yeah, I guess I could see that. No, he, he didn't. Whenever people asked him if um, Lord of the Rings was a metaphor for the war, he said, no, it, it's not an allegory. It's, oh, okay. It might come from his experience, but it's not, oh, it's not supposed to be mm. that. Because he said, I learned to detest allegory as soon as I was wise enough to figure out what it was. Okay. Which yeah, a- I can see him really hating Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe then, because it's like, all of it is just an allegory. Well, I wonder about that, because in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's a horn. Susan gets a horn from yes. Santa Claus. They, Santa Claus gives them weapons. Like, that's just weird. But... I mean, did Actually, you ever ask Santa Claus for, like, weapons? That was, like, one of the first things I did. I was like, Santa, please give me a giant sword. And you were growing up in Texas, so you probably got one. No. My mom gave me a gun. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's Texas. Yeah, that's, that's your, you're, you're eight years old, old enough to shoot. Here you go. Here's the family legacy. Pass that on to me. Yeah, bring in a ten-point buck, will you? <laughs> It's sad because Maybe. we actually do have deers. <laughs> Just dragging it by the antlers. They're, 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 if, if you eat what you kill, I just it's got to be delicious. Yeah. Like, My yeah. family really loves venison, so can we fully do take that. credit for it. <laughs> but um, about the Tolkien thing. So in what Santa Claus gives Susan a bow and arrow and a horn. And if she blows the horn, help will come. And it does at a crucial moment. In Fellowship of the Ring, <laughs> who else has a horn? And help comes too late. Okay. Spoiler alert. That's Sporamir. Because he <laughs> dies blowing the horn of Gondor. Oh, poor Boromir. Which is, that's very interesting to me. Because I do wonder if that was related to it. It's, it's one of those little things, you know? Yeah, yeah. I feel that. It's It'll it'll be very interesting because they're just two really uh, quintessential kind of fantasy figures so it'll be interesting i mean who hasn't read like um the lion the lich in the wardrobe and who hasn't the lion the lich in the wardrobe i'm sorry that's the (laughs) D &D spinoff that's 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 Uh, a much weird that's a DD campaign that's a weird one leave me alone (laughs) i'm tripping over words my my head goes faster than my mouth or my mouth goes faster than my head i Either one. Have you heard me try to enunciate on air? I it sound like Porky Pig half the time. Anyway. <laughs> That's all. It's kind of fitting that this is the Valentine's Day discussion is Tolkien because I've actually every year around this time, like for a while, I think for um, about maybe about eight years, because it was around this point in winter I'd start rereading The Hobbit. Oh, nice. Yeah, because it was, it, was it was just something I did. Like, usually after Christmas, I'd reread The Hobbit. And it's a short book. Yeah, it's a really short book. So it's a... It doesn't make a short movie, apparently, but... 
Oh god, don't don't even get me started on that movie. I will literally keep you in here for hours. I, I do just want to say that Guillermo del Toro could have made a three-hour movie out of it, and it would have been good. It would have been fine. Guillermo del Toro can do anything, and it would be good. Well, I love the man. <laughs> yeah, Shape of Water. Shape of Water's probably gonna win an Oscar. So please, please let Shape of Water win an Oscar. Please let my beautiful, beautiful Mexican favorite director ever. Get that Oscar. Is Benicio Del Toro his older or younger brother? I don't know. Because <laughs> Benicio Del Toro is a pretty scary looking dude. Yeah. But I, I don't know if he's the older one. I don't there. know for sure. I think that ha- I'd have to look that up. Because Guillermo's got this little boyishness to him, but Benicio Del Toro just, as he ages, gets <laughs> even craggier. And like his eyeballs seem to sink further into his head. That's just the. Like, <laughs> that's just what happens. <laughs> like there's, as a guy who's played the devil multiple times, I really want to see a movie where he does play, play Satan in some capacity, because he wouldn't really have to overact. He could just he could just sit there and like eat a croissant, and it would be frightening. It, uh, it's like Robert De Niro at Angel Heart, like just peeling a boiled egg. Oh my god! <laughs> like it was with the uh, the fingernails, they kind of overdid. Yeah. Anyways. It's a good movie, scary, yeah. Well, that's Valentine's Day for the both of us, eh? Watch Shape of Water. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, it's pretty good advice. I, I, I gotta, I still have to see Shape of Water, and I still have to see um, uh, Lady Bird. Um, I, oh no, no, no! I've seen Lady Bird. Which one am I thinking of? No, it's not. Um, I have not seen Lady Bird. The other one, Lady Bird's good. It's um, yeah. I was, we were, actually, I was actually talking about it earlier today. Because uh, one of our, I, we had, we had, I had a guest for the twenty four hour segment who was um, in, uh, who was from Sacramento, and that's where Lady Bird is set. Aww. That's got to be pretty unique, you know. I don't know of many movies or really anything that is a love letter to Sacramento, California. Nice town, but I mean, it's a, it probably it's like a little small town, state capital. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. It's, well, there you go. <laughs> it's, it's it's competing with L A and San Francisco, I guess even. Well, I, San Diego, but L.A. and San Francisco. Oh yeah, there's for, no way. for notability. So yeah, I get that. It's it's in like North Central California, I think. Mm. I, I I don't know. I I don't know where Sacramento is. So take take it easy out there. Yeah, there's that. And what's the other one I haven't seen? Um, because I've seen the Disaster Artist. J- I think I think James Franco is going to get Best Supporting. Maybe. I'm 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 kind of hoping he does. But on the on the other hand, like I'm I'm I also. Really, do, I, I don't know how far I want the disaster artist to go. Yeah, as a movie because I I, I liked it. There's I, the soundtrack. Disaster artist is great. They got oh, Epic really? by Faith. Yeah, Epic by Faith. No more is on it. Ooh, goofy song, but damn, it's fun. And uh, like, yeah. So yeah, I guess I guess Shape of Water is, and Call Me by Your Name. I haven't seen. I have issues with that but yeah I've, I've heard a lot of i've heard some various issues with it um yeah. heard's a beautiful movie i'm sure but, it's like a beautiful movie but it's just like it's it's just like a 17 almost 18 year old boy with a 24 year old it's uh, just kind of it's questionable creepy okay at least i think so Happy Valentine's Day! <laughs> uh, and that's I mean, it. You need to figure out a way to end the show. <laughs> All right, but that, seriously, that is that is the way we're going to choose to end the show. 
Oh, um, here's a good one to end the show. Get tickets for Black Panther. Oh, Try. yeah, that's right. Go get tickets for Black Panther. Actually, yeah, that fits in my de- 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 Black Panther does look like it's going to be awesome. Oh, yeah. Just <laughs> spend take, so much money. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd say, yeah. Take in uh, Black Panther. I mean, we, honestly, so I saw Proud Mary earlier this. You see that one? I did not. No. Is it good? No, not really. Oh, no. I thought it was going to be like a I, Taraji Henson, I, I think, is one of the most entertaining and honestly really, like, really, really um, to me, anyway, very attractive actor, actress working right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just, um, it, it kind of wasted her energy, I think. Oh. Like, it, it, the, it, it could have been more over the top than it was. And I find Taraji Henson so entertaining that. Mm-hmm. It, it, it kind of feels like a waste when they don't let her shoot for the moon. Because, mm. like, I've seen enough of Empire to know that, like, it, it, Taraji Hansen, like, if you, she she can just carry this scene for you as long as there's, like, as long as there's a through line, as long as the scene be, has a beginning and an end, it will be entertaining from that point, as long as Taraji Hansen's in it. And that that's something... That I that I was kind of disappointed with with Proud Mary because I thought it was going to be like the black exploitation aesthetic aesthetic which is oh, yeah. really over there but it was more like a '90s sort of spy movie oh which was like it, it, it just not a very good one honestly and I so but the thing is that Black Panther I've read the comic it's based on which actually does have those Afrofuturist influences to it and I that's know. a really interesting aesthetic oh I'm so excited I got tickets already yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, yeah. See Black Panther. Um, check out Shape of Water and uh, uh, the, the, love yourself. Yeah. Well, what's this? I guess that's it. I won't make a joke on that. Cheers, everyone. Rude. <laughs> Cause you're up. A-